The big local news is about this exemption that, that ESCOM has been given by the Treasury. It will allow ESCOM to not report um, wastefully regular and a naughty expenditure. Let's call it that. <laughs> Mark, hi, good morning. Good morning, Tim. From an autumnal Johannesburg, I feel the air is cooler, but the sun is still out. Oh, yeah, lots of holidays that always makes the sun feel brighter. I'm Tim Cohen. I'm the editor of Business Maverick. I'm talking with Mark Barnes. As we do every week, we chat about the news. We don't have any set structure. We just talk about stuff. And Mark, the big international news at the moment is the arraignment of Donald Trump in New York. He's the first American president to face charges. What do you think? Do you think he's going down? No, I don't think he's going down. Although evidence suggests he might have before. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's a curious thing because I don't think he's being found guilty of a crime in what he did, pay hush money or whatever. I think his crime is that he lies. Okay. I think his crime is that he wants to cover it up. And I think whatever her name is, Wild West, I forget what it's, what's her name again? Stormy Daniels. I mean, I think she had a kind of contract which she's just breached. And so I think it's about ultimately not the nuances of presidential behavior, but some binary tests. And lying is one of them. You cannot lie if you are the leader of the free world who can make decisions that can result in global thermonuclear war, if you like. And so lying is just not okay for any leader. You know, it's a, it's strange. I mean, uh, it is in the proud tradition of politicians not getting into trouble for what they did, but for getting into trouble for trying to cover up what they did Yeah, because they're embarrassed about it. This is exactly the situation and lots of other political leaders have been caught in the same trap. It's very reminiscent of our own President Zuma. These are presidents who appeal on a kind of gut level and they appeal to a very devoted sort of support base, which gives them the freedom to be outrageous. Being outrageous puts them on the news. It's a sort of weird cycle. They tout wealth to the poor. It's crazy, right? No, that's right. All right, Mark, and the big local news is about Operation Clean Audit. This is the fact that the Treasury has exempted ESCOM from provisions of the Public Finance Management Act. People are very suspicious about it. It sounds like this is an attempt to allow ESCOM to circumvent some provisions that are intended to reveal corruption. In your previous life as a postman, I'm sure that you came across this. The problem lies in this area of the Public Finance Management Act that requires public companies to report on irregular, wasteful, and fruitless expenditure. That's a much higher standard than ordinary companies have to comply with. The PFMA, in my view, is designed to stop bad behavior rather than encourage good behavior. Okay, So it's not an enabler, it's an enforcer. And the only time you have to lock up sweeties is when their children are about. The real issue is if you had the appropriate integrity and acumen within the leadership of SOEs, you don't require them to be regulated by some act which tells them how to do deals, tells them how to approve budgets, tells them when something is regarded as irregular or fruitless. There aren't rules. There are common sense in Uh, business enterprises as to what are the right and wrong decisions. And the last thing a leader needs to do is check in the rule book. He or she needs to guide the organization by decisions founded on the facts and the business sense of it. So, for example, putting everything out to tender has proved to be, you know, if anything, not only fruitless and wasteful, but crooked. 
Okay, so you can orchestrate tenders. You can't orchestrate, for example, fair market value. Okay, and so if you said we've got a leader who we trust, who understands the business, and who will only deal at fair market value, then you can be assured there's no space left between fair margin and the crooks who want to eat the balance. So you know what we need is less rules and more leadership. In the circumstances where we had confidence in the executive management of Eskom, would entirely support the finance minister's decision. However, if we find ourselves making rules for people who are not best placed to make authentic and well-guided decisions, then they need rules. Yes, and those rules end up being no more than a definition of the matrix around which crooks can work. Exchange control is such a when you override commercial logic in favor of imposed rules, you just create a definition of the playing field for the crooks. So everyone's saying, How can you dare let them go and play? It's only because we don't trust them. When you were at the post office, did you look at what the accountants had come up with for fruitful and wasteful expenditure and think, This is nuts? Or did you think, That's fair enough? That seems to be more or less the sense that I had. Doesn't it help you as a CEO to have these categories so that it gives you a better, little bit of better understanding of what's happening within the organization? No, I think it confines and defines weak spots. That's all it does. I've never seen in the PFMA, which I must admit I haven't read cover to cover, I've never seen the words fair market value, for example, or appropriate price. Or, for example, you know, it's all very well to define with hindsight what expenditure proved fruitless. It's all very well to say, at the end of a budgeting period, that I didn't utilize my allocation and therefore I should give it back. Right. What it presumes is that the center has better knowledge than the operators. Okay. Yeah. And that's just unfortunate if it's true. Okay. And it's not true and it shouldn't be true. So I support the freedom that should be granted to appropriate executive management. I don't support a set of rules which defines boundaries for crooks but doesn't enable proper business people. That may all be true, but isn't it very suspicious? The former CEO of ESCOM leaves the organization, says that there are a couple of very high-ranking politicians who are on the take, and then less than a month later, ESCOM gets exempt from these PFMA rules. I have to say, I mean, they're not accounting terms. They're not technical accounting terms. And that, I mean, I grant you, that would be very difficult. But it does seem to me that you're starting on a kind of downward slide you are. if you just decide that some rules don't apply to you. Yeah, if and only if you don't have competent, trustworthy management. But having said that, it is suspicious. The timing of this is suspicious. Unless you, you stand back and adopt a glass half full attitude, which says, hell, you know, Eskom's got to make some difficult, quick decisions. Okay. And so we've got the best team there. We're going to give them the latitude to do so. And we're not going to let them be constrained by all of these definitions of what constitutes irregular expenditure. If you go into these things, they really are little definitions which have been brought to bear by people who don't have a full understanding of the business case. Okay. Yeah, it is suspicious that, let me say this, we have the right to feel suspicious about it because of the hunnings on that seem to continue and have emerged potentially, what do they say, allegedly in ESCO. Right. But the cure is not more rules. The cure is more competence. No, I second that, totally. The previous CEO, Andre DeRacy, he also complained about this, right? You know, you find yourself spinning your energy on reconciling to a set of rules 
and trying to spend your budget so that you don't have to give it back. What a lot of rubbish, man. So you're kind of overruled by this amorphous thing called government, which, you know, which says, okay, you budgeted for X and you only spent Y, give the balance back. All of those things are not typical shareholder behavior with economic vested interest. They are controls, controls which do not align with the business case, but with some other agenda, which is where the whole mismatch starts falling to pieces. It does seem to me that, you know, the thing that is a real problem for ESCOM is not so much the irregular, wasteful and fruitless expenditure. It's that ESCOM is a kind of organization that it's out there in the market a lot, much more than a, a lot of other SOEs. And uh, there's an enormous amount of tenders that they have to put out. Well, they don't have to put out, ten or they probably do have to put out tenders, but there's a lot of buying that takes place within the organization. And that is very difficult to monitor. Every single one of those hundreds of thousands of buying necessities. It's not difficult to monitor. It's impossible to monitor. Yes. Okay? It's totally impossible for an outsider to monitor. You have to have faith and trust and evidenced proof of the competence of executive management. Okay? Yes, you can put things out to tender, but not in the absence of knowing what the fair price is. So when we yes. did stuff like this at the post office, we first sat down and determined what we thought was fair value, and then we opened it up so that we knew what we were looking for. Okay. Yeah. So that we weren't being guided by people who had an agenda other than providing us the best service at the lowest price. They had an agenda of making as much money as they can in, a, in the face of a weak negotiating partner. Okay. And every contract that I found when I got there was biased against us. Yes. Oh, that's interesting. And so when you, when you distilled it out, and that was because we were subject to the dictates of a process of elimination determined by a number rather than a deep understanding of the value equation. Just to push back a bit, I mean, uh, one of the things that the Auditor General has been saying to ESCOM for ages is that you've got to have better systems. The fact that it doesn't have particularly good systems, that is something that, that it has been thrown up by the quantity of wasteful expenditure in the organization. That's good. I don't think that's the case. I think that's bad decisions, not some technical. I mean, the top performing entities, whether they're companies on the JSC, whether they're governments, whether they're enterprises in utilities and things, the top performing entities, it is the executive management led by an astute CEO that makes the difference, not the rules of behavior. In fact, the very success stories of this world, like Apple displacing IBM or digital photography displacing celluloid or Uber displacing taxis, all of those things have been as a result of changing the game, not adhering to it. Yes. And so we need, if we're going to grow and expand, particularly in this complex you know, democracy that we are desperately trying to keep alive in a non-homogeneous society, we need innovation, we need open-mindedness, we need originality, and of course we need trust and goodwill and all of those kinds of things. We don't need rules to button down the performance of people who know better, because what that does, ultimately the sin is this, you end up employing or deploying people who are obedient rather than leaders. We employ followers, not leaders. We employ people who are obedient to a system in the absence of their knowledge of the course that needs to be charted towards the future and not the past. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Good point, good point. 
I take your point. Ah, okay, you got me. I'll submit. But I can bet you, I will bet you that Steve Jobs paid attention to the reporting systems, a very close attention to the point, regardless of the, whether or not his managers were innovative or not innovative or obedient or not obedient or rule breakers or rule takers. He would have been very careful making sure that every invoice was reflected correctly in the, in, in the whole Apple system. You can't do that without, you can't run an international organization without ha- having a really robust reporting systems underneath you. So, you know, it doesn't seem to me unfair for the Auditor General to just constantly say to ESCOM, you've got to upgrade this stuff, dudes. Here's what happens. In the normal world, I chair more than one audit committee. In, in, in the normal world, management does what they do and the auditors mark their homework. Right. Okay. The auditors don't prescribe business practice. Yes. They mark business outcomes. Okay. And so I think when the auditors start running the company, you've got a problem, but okay. Yes. You know, so of course, Steve Dobb does all of those things. Why would he make sure the invoices are right? Why would he have all the controls so that the strategy that he's implementing can be validated and founded in proper governance of financial record keeping and so on? But the record keepers don't come say, hey, listen, I don't want you to expand into China. Okay. What, the, what do you know about that? Yes, yes. Hey, listen, I really think your budget was wrong. So will you give us the money back? He would go, get out of Office, man. I'm genius. Eh? Come on. No one would put up with that. None of our top CEOs or top leaders in any dimension would put up with some non ill informed, different agenda person walking in and telling them how to run their business. You, you, this is the real problem is we have one shareholder in SIEs. In, in other entities, you have a choice. You can sell your shares and leave, or you can buy more shares if you support. Yeah. We've got no choice. There's no, yeah. we have no alternative. There's one shareholder who dictates the course of behavior. And that course, for the most part in SOEs, has turned out to be ill advised and ill overseen. It's interesting to note that the same exemption has been granted to Transnet. None of us have <laughs> really noticed that. Now we'll to really run the business. Yeah, I'll give you, I'll, let me give you an example. I'm involved in an initiative where uh, hopefully it's a virtuous and you know, it turns out to be virtuous. And it's to address the challenge of patriotism in South Africa. And talking to people, they go like, Mark, we need a ring fence to count and we need to undertake not to do. I said, no, we need people of integrity. Yes. And then we need to do what is in our best ability. We don't need to undertake a series of commitments to rules and processes because we don't need that because we're not dishonest. We have a virtuous agenda and we know what to do. All right, let's move on. We're going to talk a little bit about Dennis Skinner. I see you've noticed, just talking about ESCOM and Transnet, that a, an ultramassive black hole has been discovered and astronomers are very excited by this. Can you explain to us the gravity of the situation? <laughs> well spotted. So listen, they found this thing in the galaxy cluster called I think it's called Atoll 1201 or something. Yeah. They found a black hole, which is 30 billion times as heavy as the sun, which is two times 10 to the power of 30 kilograms, okay? Yeah. Now, the sun is 333,000 times bigger than the earth, and this thing is 30 billion times as heavy as the sun. And so what is a black hole? A black hole is where you have the most extraordinary gravitational force that pulls everything tighter and tighter together so that nothing can escape and eventually it just diminishes almost infinitely into nothingness Okay, by being drawn by this force. It's quite beyond my comprehension, as are all of these numbers. Okay, First of all, they say 
It's okay because you know where this black hole is? It's hundreds of millions of light years away. The first thing that comes to mind is, so who cares? And by the way, who found this? <laughs> I know. How do they know this? If something took a hundred million years to be seen, come, we've just seen it. Okay. I don't, I don't get it. I think it's all just fascinating, but I think the numbers are going to get lost. I mean, it's great to have stuff that is weird to take your mind off the sort of daily woes and chores. I think it's wonderful that they are interested in this and they should carry on as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, they, should, they should, they should, because it's borderline religious because nothing can be disproved yet. Do you know the joke about black holes? No, I can't wait. Tim. Just get, make sure you get it right. This is an adult program. So the black hole walks into a bar and the barman says, gives him a drink and uh, says, would you like chips with that? And he said, no, thanks. I'm a light eater. <laughs> Okay, 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 okay. Uh, yeah, you see, so it, it has enough force to draw. Not, not a very good joke. <laughs> Talking about things strange, I read on somewhere that there, there's now a new sort of artificial kissing machine invented by a Chinese startup. So what you can do is you both sign up to the app, you and your kissor or kissy, and you send each other this silica-based device and you start kissing it, and that kiss is mimicked on the other side of the planet to someone else who's also kissing the silica device. Okay, You know, there's AI for you. Now, the biggest criticism that this device had was the absence of tongue. Okay. So, I mean, I'm sorry, but if that's where you are, you know, get out a bit more. Okay, get, a, get out. Go and see someone. Okay. Yes, yes, I mean, yes, yes, really? Yes. Come on, man. <laughs> well, I mean, it is, I mean, I can see advantages. You could kiss a whole bunch of people, you know, guilt-free. You're starting to let us know that you come from the Karoo or something. Are there no people there? Can't you? <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 I mean, no, no, no. It's not, it's not you know, going back just for a second to, to seriousness in the SAEs, you know, what do we have in this translate China debate? Okay is that we ought to go and argue about a contract that we didn't demonstrate good faith in executing. It's difficult to resort. They were the ones who paid the bribe. Yeah, but we, we're on the other side of a contract that has become null and void because it's, corruption has taken place. And now to go and try and argue the force of the contract. No, no, no. I mean, this is the, in a way, it demonstrates to me how disasters happen. They start slowly and then uh, they just increment up the scale until they become completely overwhelming. And then there's no way to get out of the situation without enormous loss on all sides. Everybody loses money, face. These kind of business arrangements, however grand they are, all ultimately result in an equation which you can't mess with. And if you take money out of an equation that was in balance, you topple the equation. And it's practically impossible to regenerate that equilibrium without someone putting the money back. And that's what the fight's about. We have that pervasive disease called corruption, which has disbalanced our equations of equilibrium, which would have brought about more prosperity than the failures they have delivered to us. Anyway, let's not get too down on that. Let's move forward. What is there to move forward on? <laughs> There's a lot of fun happening. Uh, let's let's all of us take a little bit of a break over the long weekend. Happy holidays, everyone. All right, Mark, thanks very much. That was very interesting as always. Catch you next week.
This show is part of the Africa Podcast Network. For the biggest pod network on the continent. For sales inquiries, please contact us at info at africapodcastnetwork.com.